It is time once again for Port Release. This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupans. It's holiday time. No matter what you want to serve, either for Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate, or even for parties around the holidays, whether it's prime rib, Zupans ham, fully cooked lobster. Oh, man. I, wanna, I want someone to do that. Yeah. Uh, it probably should be me, right? Side dishes that are really great. Uh, and a lot of fantastic desserts and more. Zupans is your place. Plus, they have revamped their catering tray menu. So think catering trays. I was actually looking through these possibly for Thanksgiving. We ended up just going with a ton of great sides. But best thing is you can order online for your holiday parties and then just go to the Zupans nearest you and pick it up. Right. And while you're there, they have a great selection of champagne and sparkling wine. Great for this time of year. Large format bottles and caviar to Mm, go with it. It goes perfectly together. Also, fresh fruit and gift baskets. So if you've got uh, maybe somebody around the office, somebody in your neighborhood you want to take care of, they can create a custom basket full of your favorite Zupan's items. Well, not only that, you can go, if you're at a loss for ideas, Yeah, Zupan's, is a, I found it's a great place just to walk around and you'll come up with appropriate ideas oh, yeah. for yeah. people. Yeah. I know both of us have taken advantage of the Zupan's nearest us by when people... There's somebody special in our lives, or I actually did my neighborhood gifts through Zupans last yeah, year. Yeah, I put together a, wasn't a Christmas thing, but a Mother's Day gift yeah. for somebody with a lot of great food items and then some other cool little stuff. I'm going there. there. I'm going there today for my wreath, Christmas wreath. wreath. Oh, fantastic. They've got those too. Enjoy that. Thank you. Three locations, McAdam, Lake Grove, and Burnside, and of course, always at Zupans.com. It is time once again for Portland's Food Scene Podcast. It's right at the fork with your host, Chris Angelus from Portland Food Adventures. And you're Cord Johnson from yes. the radio. Yes, I, I, I've come up with this. Portland Radio's Cord Johnson. <laughs> and right at the fork's Cord Johnson. Yeah. Too. Yeah, so. I, I'm probably he- heard more here regularly. Dude, we're coming yeah. up on four complete years That's of pretty, this podcast. Uh, pretty crazy to think about. I don't know. I'm not going to pat ourselves on the back, but has anybody else in Portland done a podcast, a weekly plus, it's more than a weekly podcast for four years? I th- there might be one. I'll do some research. I found, I found a podcast the other day and I thought, holy cow, this has been going on for a while. I guess if there you actually just might be a couple, found out number of episodes. Yeah, there actually might be on. a couple of them, but we're, ours is specifically about the Portland foods food scene. Oh, well, that I Those know. Those might be more broad. I think one, there's a movie one out there and there's one comedy one. Right. But this is about Portland, baby. Right. So we have, we're on, I think, number one. So take 40... that hand off the back of your back. <laughs> we're on number 142, I believe, yeah. here. One, something like Somewhere that. Around there. Well, it's actually 141. Um, but that doesn't include all our Gary the Foodie updates, which you, by the way, we've never said this. We encourage you, if you're not paying attention, mm-hmm. to listen on the last Monday of every month, uh, we have a fun little podcast with Gary talking about his favorite places to go yep. and where he's been lately and where we've been lately. You and I don't go out as frequently. Um, but at any rate, so four years, Court. Thanks. That, no, it's, thank you. No, it's, it's been a fun ride. We're not quite there yet, so I don't know why I brought it up. But right. it was just, we're, we're close. You know, we're close. We're pretty close. And, and in this case, we have David Briggs on, who um, I met years ago. When I first went to a plate and pitchfork dinner, David was making a bone marrow chocolate dessert. Mm. Um, and he has had his chocolate company, Chocolato de David, in Portland for a number of years. It's growing. And um, he's also, in that period of time, grew up in San Francisco, mm-hmm. has spent time all over the world, really, um, and, and had some cooking experience all over the world. Uh, ended up ha- back here at um, Park Kitchen for one and was one of the, there are a lot of folks out there doing great things in Portland that were at Park Kitchen 10 years ago. What I really loved about this story, and he'll get into it, was how it was at Park Kitchen where he was really pushed and prodded to do what he's doing now. Right. It was, he was looking Scott for Dolich was just like, hey man, you should do this. Right. And Scott did that with a lot of folks. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the guys. Doesn't happen that Street. often. A lot, a lot of times, I, I in the radio world oftentimes, or I think in the corporate world, 
you oftentimes see managers not encouraging people to break out because they basically want somebody that they know is reliable to just stay exactly. Yeah, where but they that's are. not the. Everybody here in Portland knows that they're not going to keep somebody in a right. kitchen forever, right. especially that's talented exactly. and has some things. So David went out, formed his own chocolate company. Um, he uh, he dated a woman, Catherine Mantarola, from Mexico City, also was in Portland at the time. That's mm-hmm. when he met her. And he spent a lot of time going to uh, Mexico City. He became, he's also become quite enamored and uh, got a lot of knowledge of Mezcal. Um, and uh, so we're doing a little trip with him in October, late October of next year, to go and experience the food scene, chocolate, mezcal, uh, be kind of fun to do. So we talk about that a little bit here, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, David is a, is a San Francisco born and bred, big Giants fan, and uh, doing some really cool things in, uh, in Portland. It was great to be able to spend some time with him and hear about those. Yep. Hey, it's Court Johnson. Just wanted to pop in here before we get to David Briggs and bring this to your attention. PDX Feeds Puerto Rico. It's a multi-day event starting next Monday, in case you're listening to this on the day or the days following its release. December 4th through the 10th, where a bunch of great Portland restaurants, bars, coffee shops are coming together to support our friends, in some cases our family, like Christina Baez down there in Puerto Rico. She's actually behind all of this, her and Jose Chesa. PDXFeedsPuertoRico.com is where you want to go. But uh, plan on coffee pop-ups, dinners, cocktails, food specials, brunch at Atala, which will be great, and a huge party on December 7th at the Nightwood Society. Again, all the details you could ever hope for, PDXFeedsPuertoRico.com. But uh, so many great places coming together on this to help support Han Oak, Kochka, Lamul, Lardo. Again, all the details you want, PDXFeedsPuertoRico.com. We timed this just so uh, David could talk about the Dodgers in the World Series. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's your favorite thing, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, that is uh, <laughs> for any Giants fan. <laughs> Being a gi- lifelong Giants fan, seeing the uh, Dodgers in the World Series is, you know, not particularly pleasing, but... Uh, it hasn't happened a lot in the last few years. No. It's been, what, 28, 29 years? But I do have a lot of friends who are Dodger fans, so, you know, I can be happy for them, but I don't want the Dodgers to win. <laughs> yeah, well. Has I'm it been a, that long? Yeah. I mean, because I have a very strong, I remember the Dodgers when it was Herschel. No, who's the Oral pitcher? Herschel. Oral Hershiser. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that guy. Herschel Orheiser. I, I, don't, I don't remember yeah. the name, but I just remember that was a pretty, yeah. pretty big deal. Well, yeah. Kirk Gibson. Yeah. yeah. That but, was in the 80s, right? Yeah, 1988. They played the A's. Yeah, they, they beat the Mets to get in. Yeah, the, that's right. To get into Crap, that. That's been like 30, 29? Oh, Time okay. flies. Right. It really does. Okay. I mean, as a Met fan, yeah. well, we had a couple of years in the 2000s. Yeah, you you played the Yankees. Yeah. And what was that? Uh, yeah, it didn't count because no. we got completely <laughs> smoshed out of that <laughs> without even putting up a fight. It was so depressing. Yeah. But um, anyway, I said to someone last night, it's kind of good to be, uh, sometimes when your team sucks in August or July... Mm-hmm. It just enables you to enjoy the beautiful Oregon summer and not think about it, right? <laughs> and it's true. And yeah. not be stressed out, yeah, right? No, no there, was, there wasn't a lot of stress this year for us Giants fans. Right, it exactly. Was, uh, well, a little stress in the beginning because we were supposed to be a playoff contender, but then, you know. So were things we. Things happen, yeah. So were we. So yeah. how did your base, you know, we've been talking, we had Patrick in here, who's a baseball fan, yeah. Patrick McKee. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've been talking a little baseball lately. I don't know, we haven't heard any complaints on the... Um, on any of the feedback that we get, the, all the feedback court that we get for the podcast, people complaining about talking baseball. We've I've, never gotten I've, a I've, complaint no, about say, anything or say. any a little bit of praise, but nothing. I'm kind of trying to yeah. jar someone to talk and say, <laughs> "Don't talk about baseball." That, that one or person something. is going to be like, "Well, as a matter of fact, I hate it when they talk about yeah. it." Yeah, yeah. I'm sure well, there's some people who are bored by it, but other people like to hear that yeah. you're a baseball fan. That's what this podcast is all about. It's to about, find it's out about, about baseball. <laughs> well, no, it's to find out about David yeah. and what you dig. Not, you know. But here's the thing: everybody, anybody, can go find your chocolate, and a lot of people have. Yeah, and try it. And go read about you, your business online, but the podcast is really about getting to know you. Sure. So, I mean, we talk business, of course. Yeah. People want to know how you got into business and all that stuff, but 
yeah. you know, a big part of you is that you are a big baseball yeah. fan. You we, travel down to San Francisco to watch the games. Yeah, my, my uh, we've been going to games. My, I was, had this conversation with a friend the other day after the Astros, you know, clinched to go to the World Series. My first baseball game was a doubleheader Giants-Astros because back in the day, the Astros won the National League West. And uh, so for a long time, I hated the Astros just because that was the, my introduction to baseball. That was the team that the the Giants were playing, and and uh, you you know you want to root against your opponent. What but, days? Who was on? Who were on the teams then? Oh, I mean that's place it because I'm going. I'm thinking back to '86. I can when the Mets beat the Astros to get to that yeah, World Series. That was an incredible I series. C- I couldn't even begin to tell you. Any, I mean, that's like the Johnny Lamaster Giants days, and, and oh, yeah, it's before Mike Scott yeah. and oh Nolan yeah, Ryan this is this, is, this would have been uh, eighty two, I, I believe. Okay, well, it's only four or five years before that. Yeah, so, so and then we we you know we can talk about, but we moved away, um, uh, moved overseas, so I had no contact with baseball until. Uh, we moved back in '86, and that's my mom grew up a Mets fan. So oh, good, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, that was a big. That was a big deal to watch that. You know that World Series was just bananas, as so, you know. So here's the thing. I I want to ask you about your travels overseas. Yeah. But nowadays, I have been in Europe a lot. I mean, the last four years in September and October, the MLB package is fantastic. I know. You can just pull it up and watch it at three in the morning. <laughs> but but it's still cool. Yeah. That you can do that. We you couldn't to, do that in those days. No, we we and when we lived in. Um, when we lived in Singapore, my dad subscribed to this service. It was, I believe it was called Pontel and they were out of Germany and they would record the game of the week for the NFL that you wanted, or you could do a team. He eventually, we're obviously Niners fans. So we, so he, we would get a VHS tape in the mail the week after uh, <laughs> the football game. And then we could, you know, we could watch the game and, Movie tone. Yeah, it's the it's the yeah it's the Forty so, Niners. Wow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, one week removed, and I'm sure you know you you know without the internet back then too, I'm sure it's a little harder to find the scores. You know, I don't. You know, the the you, International you, you, Herald there was, Times. There was no know. chance of somebody screwing things up. No, you, on Facebook. This is why there were yeah. newspapers because yeah. you needed the newspapers yeah. for that. Yeah, that was it. And if you didn't, but if you didn't want to know the score, it was easy. It was pretty easy. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. My mother used to go. She was a Mets fan, and then she was a trader. She moved to the Braves, but she lived down in Savannah, and she would go into stores, and they would have the games on, you know, somewhere in the store or the restaurant, and she would put her fingers in her ears and just go, so she could avoid hearing the scores. So Now it's really hard. I mean, with... With oh, with Facebook. Face- any any Facebook, big game, it's yeah. going to be talking. You have you, to you, just you get off sh- of Facebook. Yeah, you have to shut your phone off. You can't go on the computer. Yeah. You can't talk to anybody. Or t- if, same thing it, with TV shows and movies. Yeah. If people know you're a fan, they'll immediately say, oh, you know, tough game or, you know, one right. of those things. And so, you know, the, you just have to sequester yourself. Yeah. Well, speaking of being sequestered, so you were, you did a lot of traveling as a kid. I assume it was as a kid or yeah. a little after that. What what caught what what did I, I'm assuming it would your what your father was doing yeah. was causing you to yeah. travel. Yeah, we uh, my dad worked for Bank of America for 35 years. Oh, um, before they were uh, <clears throat> before 2008 and nine, and we discovered things about Wells Fargo and Bank of America. Yeah, yeah. he was gone by then. <laughs> um, he uh, so we moved to when I was in first grade. We moved to Australia, to Sydney. He got transferred there. Um, and so we lived there. It was great. Actually, we have, uh, my dad has relatives down there because his aunt married an Australian fighter pilot uh, during the war. Right. And uh, so we have, he has cousins and, and stuff like that. So it was, it was actually really nice. We got to spend a lot of time with family and get to know them um, quite well. And uh, we spent a year there. And we didn't, we traveled around Australia a lot, um, but we were only there for just under a year. It was like 11 months. But then from there, we went to Singapore and we lived in Singapore for three years. And uh, we traveled, you know, when you're that far on the other side of the world, you know, spring breaks, Christmas breaks, that's kind of stuff. It's just too much of a hassle to travel all the way back to the States. So we would, um, 
we travel around Asia. We went to China, and this is, you know, this is 1984, 85, 86. Mm-hmm. So going to China in 1984 is a lot different experience than going, what, now. going now, for sure. Um, we went to Thailand. We went to Indonesia. Um, my mom went Do you to, have food memories? Oh, yeah. Of those oh, places? yeah. Yeah, yeah. So um, I was, I'm the middle child. Um, there's three of us, and, you know, those people out there who are middle children know the uh, struggles of of being that person um everybody look the oldest yeah, the middle the I'll youngest the oldest. They, we all have the our young, stories the youngest has it easy because by then the parents don't really care anymore and that, they're a little more relaxed that's <laughs> yeah you want to do a whole separate podcast yeah where, exactly where do you fall Corey? i'm seven of eight. Oh wow seven so, of eight. Like, so you guys got nothing yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> game over yeah but i do but, you know i do i have to agree like the parents i had were different than my older brothers and they always reminded us that uh how you know, easy we got the broken it. down yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. so uh but so my my i was always uh i was always a pretty adventurous eater um and i kind of felt like it was i've always thought that it was something that um uh my parents or just a way for me to get up um over my my two other siblings my brother and my sister you know hey Dave eats all his peas. Dave's, you know, he'll try this, he'll try that. And uh, so, you know, especially Singapore is, uh, you know, being in Southeast Asia, we exposure to very, very different cuisines. Mm -hmm. um, And then also through the traveling. So I do remember, um, I have a lot of good memories. So when we moved to Singapore, I was seven, uh, going into seventh grade, or seventh grade. (laughs) (laughs) You did pretty well. Yes, (laughs) going into second grade. so I do, I have sparse memories. We, you know, the first thing I remember um, being there is because uh, we had to live in a hotel for the first three or four weeks. Um, and we, satay. I mean, we just ate satay like nobody's business. I mean, it was, you know, mutton, chicken, beef, whatever it was. We ate that all the time. So that was, you know, one of my really first good memories is satay with peanut sauce, obviously. Um, you think that influences what you do now? Oh, definitely. Yeah, just being over there, and, and especially when I first started doing uh, making chocolates, I was very influenced by uh, Asian cuisines and the flavor profiles of of all those dishes. Um, and it, because as, as it turns out, that's kind of, that's always been my comfort food is Asian food. Um, that's come up a lot on this podcast because I, I see it when we ask chefs what they um, like and where they go after work. Yeah. It's always Asian. Not, uh, not always, no, but a lot of times. A lot. A- well, that's Asian also cuisines. because that's, what, yeah. well, that's what's open when the industry gets True. out of work. Yeah. But the other thing is the, fl- the flavor profiles are often mentioned. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, I'm, you know, I like my Asian food, but it's not the first thing if you were to say to me, list your favorite cuisines in order sure. it wouldn't come up on top but it does for a lot of people in the industry yeah. i think the you know there's a lot of balance in there a lot of acid um which i appreciate um they're, you know not necessarily heavy um you know can be but not necessarily and uh, but just having that as a as a nice childhood memory of you know we were eating um fried rice and we were you know satay and you know all these uh various things and so that's just kind of you know whereas if maybe if we hadn't gone to singapore and we'd just been living in the bay area the whole time i'd you know think about other things right Uh, you know the more traditional american you know grilled cheese tomato soup type thing um well in san francisco you would have yeah yeah we some seafood yeah there's a lot of seafood um but one of the thing one of the big memories i had a i had one of my best friends in singapore you know we were there's a lot of big expat community lots of americans we went to the american school um, I had a, one of my best friends, uh, Nikki, Nikki Woos, if you're out there, haven't heard from you in about 30 years. Oh, um, he must be on this. Must. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but his, Best place to find yeah, him, right yeah, here. Yeah, right. Uh, his dad, uh, you know, his dad obviously was a businessman and he, you know, his, uh, his clients would take him to these little holes in the wall and, you know, kind of away from where a lot of the expats would eat, you know, deep into Chinatown in Singapore. And he was, he took us to this place that I believe is no longer around. It was called Fatty's and, uh, he would take us there. And I just remember, you know, the whole fish, the first time I'd ever seen a fish presented 
in its entirety head on to you know all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff and uh just eating you know his dad's like you know you guys got to eat the ice and, and i've it, thought about that yeah and so we, ate, we I, ate the he's like if, if you guys eat the ice you know we'll grab some ice cream and you that's know. at in at seven years old that's pretty bold yeah, seven right? eight years old yeah so we ate the eyes how were uh, they i just you know i just remember that you know that kind of uh, cartilage, gelatinous texture. Did you feel pressure? Did you feel peer pressure? I'm no, no, not at all. Because I just not had my all. first in a long time, my first kind of peer pressure situation with Jose uh-huh. in Barcelona. What did he we went, you eat? We went to Dos Pebrats and we were with other people who were there for a food adventure and he was all excited about the uh, pig's nipples. At oh, Dos I saw that picture and, on Instagram. That and uh, that was, you know, I'm pretty adventuresome <laughs> eater. I'll almost eat anything, but I really wasn't looking <laughs> forward to that. And you know what? Everybody loved them, or liked yeah. them at least. I, they tasted as, you know, just as I thought oh. they would. I was not into it. <laughs> that, that, I had one. Yeah, that didn't look very appetizing. No, I, but other people liked it, and yeah. Jose was kind of acting annoying like my father would have when someone else didn't like something. Yeah. He would then love it that much more just to be, you know, just to prove a point, yeah. whatever point that would be. But so Jose was doing that too. Yeah. So I thought about that because eyes for me are not that appealing. No. And so I don't like being in that position because yeah. I like to be thought of as, I, I got a thing called Portland Food Adventures. I like to be thought of as an adventuresome <laughs> yeah. eater, yeah. but I don't like to be called on it. So. Yeah. But that was, uh, yeah, for, yeah, I don't, I don't recall very, being very, you know, pressured. I think it was like, if you do it, I'll do it. And, you know, his dad was just kind of sitting there just seeing if we would actually eat them. And, and we did. So, um, is that yeah. on the menus now? Is that something that generally, fish eyes? yeah, I don't know, but they just having the fish served in its entirety and, you know, oh, so it's just a couple of eyes. It, yeah, it, it was no, it wasn't like a bowl of eyes. No, no, it wasn't like a bowl of eyes or something like that. No, 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 no. Uh, just you know, plucking them off the whole roasted fish that they had uh, that they had brought out. I love the whole roasted fish. Oh, that's yeah. The, but uh, you know, we're trying to think of you know some of the other things. It was a lot. A lot of it was culture too. You know, being in in, in a you know different time. Obviously, I and I haven't been back. I haven't been back to Asia and uh, since we left. So, oh. um, but yeah, and I mean, you're talking 19 Thailand, Bangkok in 1984, 85. It's a different know, thing. It's Bali, we... Indonesia. You know, you could um, f- travel a little more freely a- around Indonesia. South Korea. We hit a, on our way back after we were moving back. Uh, Japan. Um, went to a lot of temples. You know, saw a lot of Buddhist temples, Hindu temples, things like that. A lot of culture. That was that was one thing my parents always, you know. You're a pretty calm guy. Does that at least I. I see you as that. Is yeah. it, did that culture influence you? Um, probably, maybe in some kind of way. Um, my mom, my my mom always says that I'm more like my dad, who's very calm and doesn't get overly excited. And so, and I've watched you just for short periods of time make your chocolate. Is that a relaxing endeavor for you? Uh, <laughs> it depends on what time of year it is. <laughs> if it's in the ho- during the holiday time, which is we're getting into right now, not at all. <laughs> It's, it's just, it's stressful, you know, trying to keep up with production and, and, you know, it's just a nonstop type thing. I'm usually more relaxed when I'm doing my, um, experimenting, you know, when I'm trying to come up with new bars, new flavors, you know, that's, that's the thing that calms me down and, and is something that I generally enjoy quite a bit. Um, but you know, you have to make, I have to make the time for that. So it's, uh. Do you have a cadre of people who help you with new flavors? Is it, are you doing a lot of that yourself, yourself? Most of it's myself. I mean, a lot of it comes from, especially early on, um, when I was still working at Park Kitchen, um, a lot of it came from eating out, um, traveling trips. Um, when I went to Spain in 2008, that was a huge eye-opener for me, just in terms of uh, their approach to chocolate. Um, very There's... there's a few chocolatiers in Barcelona that are very savory forward that really push the boundaries that I like. Um, and just also kind of the way that, uh, more modern Spanish cuisine has turned towards the more, you know, kind of pushing boundaries. Uh, that was just, that was, was that was everything for me. Was that happening in 2008? Was that pretty much in full swing at that point or is it? Yeah. Cause I, I mean, as far as, as far as I, you know, as, as far as you knew, yeah, as far as I know, um, 
Ramon Morato, who's a chocolatier who has, uh, gosh, no, I'm going to forget the name of it. Um, he, he was very much pushing boundaries, um, savory wise and chocolate. And, and that was far more interesting to me. And, and one of the reasons why I went to, to Spain was because of people like him. Um, and, uh, it was just, it, I came back and I was, you know, I had so many ideas in my head that, um, it was, it was just insane. And it, I mean, it, it paid dividends for years after that, just thinking about things, um, thinking about things that they, fl- flavor combinations that they do, dishes, blah, blah, blah. And then from there really kind of opened up my eyes into w- looking at other cuisines, other cultures, and, and trying to incorporate some of that into the chocolate. All right. So we just jumped well, we, 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 we've, we've jumped That's all, all right. around. We, we yeah. can jump all around, but I want to go back a little bit to, you know, you went to college uh, really in, uh, yeah. it had nothing to do with food. No. I was, so I went to, I graduated, graduated from University of Oregon uh, with a degree in exercise and movement science, which is exercise physiology, uh, biomechanics, stuff like that. Um, being a, you know, uh, going back to the sports thing, being a huge sports fan. Um, were you an athlete as a kid too? Did yeah. You play? Yeah. I, p- I always played baseball, um, basketball, soccer, football, played football and rugby in high school, played a little volleyball in high school too. So are you, um, were you starting on the varsity teams? Did you get yeah. to that? Mm-hmm. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, start, started both ways my senior year in football and, and, uh, started, uh, captain of the rugby team my senior year as well. Oh so, man. Tough yeah. guy. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hey, you're a tough guy. Yeah. Tough guy. <laughs> um, but anyway, but did you uh, have any? Did, so you, I, did you suffer any big injuries? Those were not easy sports you were doing. Uh, I had a really bad um, ankle injury my junior year, and I had back issues that I still have um, from time to time. My junior, my junior year was probably like my worst. Uh, I only played, I think I only played two or three games football wise my junior year. Um, but yeah, so. That was no no broken bones no no not, no knee injuries nothing like that. Well, but, good uh, for you. And yeah. you and you seem like your your head is still intact. Yeah, your brain. Yeah. at least we know now. But uh, going both ways, you were a, you were a star then. We also had a very small. Have... We also had a very small team. Oh, okay. I but, think there was maybe only twenty eight people on the var- you know on our team. Oh, okay. Well, that we would contribute to it. Being, but... being in the Bay Area, uh, and our actually my high school, the, our team now. Uh, our high school is very good. They've won uh, two state championships in the past four years, wow. uh, which yeah. is crazy for the size. But being in the Bay Area, and it's very uh, where we were in the East Bay, um, huge swim culture, swim team, um, water polo is enormous. So we lost a lot of big guys. You know, have you ever seen a water polo player? They're pretty big guys yeah you know six four six five yeah. yeah so we lost quite a few guys to uh to water polo that you know might have size wise might have helped out or you know just good athletes in general and then because we weren't very good either um you know when the team doesn't win very much people don't really want to play and uh so yeah so we had we suffered in numbers but uh but yeah i you know started inside linebacker and fullback and Oh, yeah. that's cool. What yeah. what was high school? Give me a little shout out. Uh, Camp Linda High School, Cougars. Camp Camp Linda, Camp, Camp Linda Cougars, Moraga, California. Cool. Yeah. So, uh, so you graduate from University of Oregon, and you're a exercise went, instructor yeah. for a while. I went personal. to yeah. I got a I got an internship uh, at this great place called the Rikus Center down in Menlo Park. Um, it's a nonprofit, uh, but they do amongst other things. They have a couple programs, but one of their programs is. Um, they do athletic training for, for elite high school, college, and professional athletes. Um, very geared, you know, the guy that uh, that ran that part of it uh, went on to become, for a while, he was the uh, head strength and conditioning coach for the Golden State Warriors. Mm. I don't know what he's doing now, but uh, that was the last time I heard anything from him. Um, so I did that for a while, and then I worked for a, a private upscale health club in, in the city for three and a half years as a personal trainer. So did so they tip well? It paid, it paid pretty well. You know, it was, that was the first dot com boom. So, uh, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. So there was a lot of money flying around. So mm-hmm. 
you know, I, I got to stay pretty busy. It wasn't, it was a, it was a fun, you know, it was a good first job out of college. I could set my own schedule. I could, you know, if I wanted to take Fridays off. And you're making some good contacts. Yeah. So you never know. Yeah. At that age. Yeah. There was, there was a, there was a lot, you know, I was working at the, the, uh, club is called club one. They're since gone. They sold and, uh, but we were right in the middle of the financial district in San Francisco. So there's a lot of, you know, there's hedge funds, hedge fund guys. There was tech guys. There was, there was a lot of money. So, but it was a good job. And, uh, but I didn't, uh, I kind of grew tired of it a little bit and it didn't have my interest and I always, it always loved cooking. And, uh, so I enrolled at uh, CIA in Hyde Park. And so I went there and, um, you had to have, uh, a strong interest in it to yeah, enroll for sure. CIA. It's yeah. not just, yeah, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no. I mean, it was growing up, and again, going back to, you know, growing up and, and being in Singapore and, and just food, food wise, you know, I always had interest in food and, and cooking. I used to watch, uh, you know, my mom cook when we were in, when we were in Singapore, we had a, uh, we had a maid, uh, they're called an ama, uh, Lillian, and she would cook, uh, you know, for us during the week. And she was a great cook. She was, uh, she was Malaysian and, uh, but she'd worked for a couple Chinese families before. And so she was, she could cook a lot of, uh, Chinese food. And, uh, so I used to sit there and watch her and I was just, I was always fascinated by cooking, um, always. And, uh, would, you know, my mom cooked when we were growing up and then around high school, she went back to work. And so, a lot of times I'd come home from school and I'd cook up a snack or, you know, try and try and, you know, do something. And, uh, yeah, it was just what, what sat there and watched, uh, cooking, uh, shows back in when we were in college. There was a great one, uh, great chefs of the world. I don't know if you've, if you've ever heard of it. One. I mean, I got, I, all I remember is Emeril and, yeah. and Graham care. And this is like right child. around Emerald was just, was just around coming up at that time, but great chefs of the world was great. So they do an appetizer an entree and then a dessert. And it was always, you know, just the chef in there in the kitchen showing you how he prepared the dish. And it was from all these wonderful restaurants all across the world. Oh, cool. Um, and they did, there was also just great chefs and it was, chefs around the united states as well i think it was on pbs or something but we'd sit i'd sit there and watch that you know it was on at four o'clock every day and i always had early classes so i came back and always watched you know back-to-back episodes of that and so that's the kind of thing that could only be on pbs yeah oh for sure yeah yeah and it was great and there was you know it was a voiceover and they were kind of talk about things and you know and uh, but it was just the chef i mean it was a it was a pretty bare bones production um but it was great. It was really great. So, so that that put enough fuel on the fire to get yeah, you yeah, towards Hyde Park. For sure. Yeah. And uh, had, you know, wonderful experience there. I had a great class there. Um, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot when you enter culinary school because, you know, they start up, there's a new group coming in every three to six weeks. Mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, the there was an ad, uh, admissions counselor that had told me, you don't want to start in uh, August, September, because that's all the kids that had just graduated from high school who are coming straight here. So, and I was 24, 25 at the time. Mm-hmm. So she said, you know, push it back to November. So because she did that, I mean, I just, luck of the draw. I mean, it's great. We had most of the people were around my age between 21 and 24. Um, everyone's super motivated, really smart, not a lot of knuckleheads in comparison to the group after us, I mean, just knuckleheads. Did all. you run into anybody that you know now in Portland there then? Um, no, I've seen people there. I know there, there was people here in, in Portland that were there when I was there. Um, but not necessarily a whole lot of, you know, I didn't know them at all. Um, how and likely would it have been? How, I don't. I don't know the scene there. I mean, it's how, how I mean, many with people the, with were the new enrolled group? in a year. Ooh, that's a good question. I have no idea. I mean, but, but was it big enough so you, that you you have people you coming get... in? Yeah, you have people. You know, there's a graduation every three weeks. Pretty sure that's how it goes. Oh, and then so you got people every three weeks. You got people going off to do their externship because the way they do it there is it's in the middle. So you're there for eight months. Then you go for do your externship for six months, and then you come back and you finish your last. Right. So, um, so yeah, so you got people coming and going. So it's, I mean, it's a pretty, 
well-oiled machine in terms of, you know, you got people coming and going all over the place. Um, but there were, um, there's a lot of people that have gone on that I graduated with that have gone on to do, you know, quite a, you know, good number of things. So, uh, I'm sure feel, feel, you know, but that's just, you know, some, a lot of times people do think, you know, they go and then they kind of get out into the industry and they just kind of, they end up in, you know, specialty food sales or their wine or, or whatever. And it's not necessarily kitchen focused. Um, but there was a good, good amount of us that stayed, you know, in restaurants for quite a bit of time. So then how did Park Kitchen catch your uh, attention? Um, or how did you not catch wanting their to go, attention? Yeah, so <laughs> not wanting to uh, go back to the Bay um, after I graduated. kind of wanted, one, it would be expensive to live on a line cook's salary. Once again, half of our food yeah. culture was developed because San Francisco is too expensive. <laughs> so we, uh, uh, my brother, you know, going to the University of Oregon, I had friends here, I asked my brother, um, who also lives here and also went to U of O. And I said, Hey, what's going on with the restaurant? Seeing anything good going on? And he's like, ah, you know, we go been to a couple good places, but my boss goes out to eat all the time. I'll get a list for you. And she sent me a list and right at the top was park kitchen. So I started, you know, researching everything and Scott had just won, uh, 10 best new chefs, food and wine. So this is uh, 2004. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I immediately, wrote up a cover letter, sent him my resume and he called me the next day and he said, Hey, when are you going to be out? You know, when do you graduate? You know, when are you going to be out here? So I told him, I said, look, I got to drive cross country, San Francisco, drop off my stuff and then I'll drive up. So he's like, great. You know, we're getting really busy. Obviously, you know, you probably saw that we, you know, just won a big, big award and um, and we at need, that time, the, the food scene was not as developed, and Park no. Kitchen was... It was Park Kitchen, Paley's Place, Wildwood. Um, Heathman. Heathman. Oh, gosh. And, and even, I I'm going to leave somebody off, and they're going to be pissed. Yeah, no, but, that's you know, all right. Um, and, right. Uh, oh, uh, Clark Lewis had just opened. Right. Um, that was in February, so it had been open for five months, six months uh, when I got here. But yeah, so it was, I mean, it was really small and, uh, I, I got there and I did a little, I did a stage with Scott and he offered me the job on the spot and, um, I told him I'd think about it. <laughs> Trying was to that get a to, negotiating uh, yeah, point? Yeah, it was a negotiating <laughs> point, but, but anybody that knows Scott, uh, knows that there's no negotiating. It's pretty much. That was he's it. Go, yeah, yeah, he's going to offer. So I waited a few days, hung out with some friends, and then <laughs> I called him and I said, ah, well, you know, what can you do? And he's like, I, this is what I can give you. I'm like, all right, I'll take it. it so, pro- he probably was was uh, impressed that at least you were, you know. You I told him ch- I was going to go <laughs> gonna go stage at a couple more places, but I didn't. I just right. hung out with some friends and <laughs> and drank beer. <laughs> but uh, but that was great. I mean, it was the best decision I ever made. You know, and professionally there were a lot of life. great people there. To, I mean, that to was when I, yeah, I mean, that was, uh, I mean, Kevin Ludwig was, was bar manager. Um, uh, that was, I got, I got there kind of, uh, Ellen Jackson was our pastry chef. Mm-hmm. Um, and then slowly after I got there, uh, six months after I got there, um, uh, David Padberg started up mm-hmm. and he became our chef de cuisine. He came over from Clark Lewis. And then we slowly added, you know, people that have become some of my really close friends in the industry. Uh, John Stewart, who owns Meat Cheese Bread. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ashley Brown, who went on to work at uh, Clyde Common. And then now he, she and her, I should say, Ashley Bazane. Um, she and her husband own uh, Feastworks Catering and, and Deli down in Selwood. And uh, Eric Moore, who owns a bunch of different restaurants. He owns, uh, uh, or bars, I should say. Um the Richmond and uh, I'm trying to remember the other one anyway, but yeah, so we just, and then Kevin Ashley, who's one of the co-owners of Pine State Biscuits was, I was working. Say, the Pine was, State Biscuits yeah, crew was all there. Yeah, right? they were working. He was, he, Kevin was working the floor, but then that, they did their first production. You know, they were the first year there at the farmer's market. They would do all their, um, they would mix all, set up all the biscuits and everything on early Saturday morning at the restaurant. So, uh, so yeah, I'm trying to think who. Else. I mean, there's there's been there's countless there. people. There's a yeah. Park Kitchen book, and, and just, with everybody's yeah. stories. Steve Jones. Steve Jones was oh, working yeah. on the floor. Yeah. Um, Cheese man. Cheese man. So uh, it was really great. I mean, there was a lot, and I think that really speaks to to Scott. Kind of, he always wanted to kind of like 
help people leave the nest. Mm-hmm. Uh, Will Price was yeah uh, was Will and Joel right yeah uh, Joel Joel got there right after I did or after I left um, of uh, uh, Hold Fast sorry. yeah 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 Will we and, can't Will assume and that Joel. everybody knows yeah, who sorry. everybody is Will and Joel from Hold Fast but right. Will was uh, he was uh, he just come from you know moved out here from Cleveland and he was you know young kid. And, uh, he still was, is, yeah, still is he, yeah, but yeah, he was, so he was working at park kitchen and he was working one or two days a week at, uh, Le Pigeon too. So, yeah, but that was, I mean, it was, it was a fun crew. That was, those were some, some really good times. Um, I you ever it. wish you, there are there days you ever wish you could just be doing that again? Oh, at, at least once a week. Oh. I mean, it was just so much fun. We had, we had so much fun. Um, and you know, the restaurant was, you know, I always think, you know, not just because it's my time there, but definitely um, it was one of the top three restaurants in the city for quite a long time, um, especially, you know, once Padberg got there and really kind of brought his influence to things, um, we really kind of hit our stride. And uh, that was, I mean, it was, it was wonderful. You know what? It's a little sad to me because the restaurant is still as good. Yeah, as it was no, then. no. It's uh, yeah. just there's so many choices And now. again, you it's know, just... it's like, you know, they're the old guard. They've been open for you know, 13 years. Right. And we, I've had a few meals there that years. were fantastic. Yeah. I mean, David Sapp. Oh, is David fantastic. Sapp is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they've kind of had, a, they've kind of had a, like a second renaissance for sure since, mm-hmm. since he's been there. No offense to everything before, but it's definitely, you know, hitting a strike. Hey, any renaissance this many years in, cause what are they? Year 14. Yeah. yeah. Year 14. 14 or 15. That's pretty impressive. Cause it's, it's a tough city to keep it is that a tough, going. I mean, and that's the thing is obviously now with, you know, we've got a 24 hour food news cycle with, with eater and everything and Twitter and just people talking. It's just, you know, you can get lost in the shuffle real quick. And you know. people do. Oh yeah. And it's hard to, and, and then it's really hard to get into that, uh, into that conversation yeah. because you have to be new. That's yeah. what everybody wants in this city is what, what's new and fun that we haven't done before. I, I get it all the time. Hey, yeah. what, what do you have that's new? What are you working on this now? I'm like, well, I'm working on stuff, but that's I've got good. all this, I've got all this other stuff that's delicious, yeah. you know? So it's still as delicious. Yeah, I mean, it's just know. as delicious as it was five years ago when it was brand new. So it's a sad state of affairs. But Scott was instrumental in yeah. getting you, in suggesting to you that you, I you so, take this track yeah. out of the restaurant. Yeah. So I started, I started playing around with chocolate on my own free time because um, you know those line cooks out there that you know if you go in at one or two in the afternoon. I definitely back then I wasn't going out every night after work. So, and you know, Portland, not be, especially back then, not even being close to a late dining town. There was times I get it. I could be home and in bed by 1030 at night. I mean, that's just unheard of, especially all my friends that stayed back East and, you know, were working in restaurants in New York. I mean, they couldn't even fathom being home and in bed at 1030. They probably o'clock. didn't want to be. No, either. <laughs> it's a different scene, you know, it's yeah. a different scene. So, uh, but yeah, so I'd wake up and you know, wake up at, you know, I had like four hours to kill. So I, you know, tried my hand at, you know, making bread and doing all kinds of stuff. And, you know, being, since I was on the culinary side and not the pastry side at, at CIA, very little, uh, uh, sweets work, you know, pastry work. So I kind of taught myself, uh, how to make truffles and just kind of fall, you know, playing around with it. And I'd start bringing them in and Scott's like, ah, oh, these are really good. Maybe you should start, you know, try and sell these, uh, you know, during the holidays or Valentine's mother's day. And, um, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I didn't, I thought about it for a little while. And then I talked to Steve Jones. Steve had just opened Steve's cheese, uh, about a, six or seven months beforehand. And I said, Hey, you want to carry these? And he's like, yeah, I'll give it a shot. So, I mean, that was, and that was it. And then, I had another friend uh, that was working at a wine bar and he didn't want to make desserts. And so he's like, I'll carry them, you know, just something, something extra that I don't have to worry about. And so, and it all snowballed from there. And Scott, you know, we, we started doing little check treats. So at, at the end of your meal, when you got your check, there'd be a little chalk, you know, a couple a little chocolate for everyone at the table. And, um, there was a card saying where they were from and where you could get them. By this time, cacao had opened, so I was selling to them. So people, and I was selling at the meadow as well, and so kind of direct people th- to those places. And um, it really snowballed from that. And then just contacts made through Scott, you know, wine people doing stuff at wineries, friends. Everyone was, you know, everyone wanted to kind of 
help out and kind of give me an opportunity to. It was very organic then. You really oh, didn't have sure. a moment where you said, I got to go out and get $50,000. No, not I, not at all. You just started it. I started with, it, you know, super bare bones, you know, spending about $50, you know, on chocolate and just kind of, you know, turning that 50 into another, you know, 50 and buying some more and, you know, just kind of slowly build up, you know, everything. So, uh, and then where'd you come up with the name? How'd you? So I was uh, Chocolato so de Chocolato de David. David, yes. Uh, you know he can say David; doesn't really matter. But I was uh, for a short po- while in uh, in college. I was an anthropology major, and uh, one of my favorite things, amongst other things, uh, I really loved um, Mesoamerica uh, and South America. Just the pre-Columbian cultures: the Aztecs, the Mayas, the Olmecs, you know, the Incas, um, and it. For those of you who don't know, chocolato is the Nahuatl word for chocolate, um, meaning bitter water. Um, and it was when the Spaniards came over, when Cortez came over, um, they could not pronounce, or they could pronounce Still it. Still can't pronounce it. But they didn't like when they brought it back. When they brought the cacao back to Spain with them, they dropped the L and added the E because obviously the the atl is a, is a very difficult um to say if you're not used to that it almost part sounds of that basque linguist. though it's yeah. almost got a whole basque thing because that's just yeah. complicated yeah so they but they dropped the l and they changed it to chocolate and that was now it. We, that was it now you have the word chocolate so i it was just kind of a nod back to uh to uh just my own knowledge but also the origins of uh of uh chocolate and so should we be calling you david from now on no nah, you don't have to it was just kind of fun when I made the so when I my, when I made the first uh, my first truffles, uh, the first Christmas I boxed them up and gave them to people and I signed it Chocolat de David. So it's you know it has it's David's chocolate, it's chocolate by David. You know, kind of um, however you want to translate it, but it was just a. I love that you're saying it here because the more I hear it, the more it's going to pop out of my yeah. mouth instead of always having to think about so, it. Yeah. How to pronounce? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm. This is my challenge. In so, life, some people so. say, you know, oh, that's the XO chocolate. <laughs> you know, something. You know, they just because they don't. You know, they don't know, necessarily know how to pronounce it. And it's understandable. It's a. It's a mouthful. Maybe if I, if I, you know, if I had known back then how far I would would have gone with this, maybe I would have named it something else. But I'm fine with it. No, you, as long as you, as long as you like it, and you yeah. know, you yeah, you can't change it now. Yeah. So as long as we're on the the topic of Chocolate. Chocolate and, you know, down down Mexico way. Yeah, sure. Um, let's talk about it because, you know, one of the things I like to do is give everybody an experience. And mm-hmm. so you and I and Catherine Mantarola have been yep. working on a trip to Mexico. And uh, something that didn't come up for me until I met Catherine, re-met her. I hadn't yeah. seen her for a few years. She moved out of town at Hot Luck and we started talking about trips and then she said what about doing a trip with David Mezcal and chocolate and I didn't realize that how deeply you'd gone into <laughs> Mexico and, yeah. and and marrying Mezcal and chocolate and those sorts of things um, so I've learned a little bit yeah talking to you guys and about what's going on down there but yeah. looking forward to a trip that we've now because of unforeseen circumstances yep. had to move to um, through Mother Nature's circumstances, yeah. had to move to, uh, we're looking at o- late October. We'll have a yeah. date by the time this comes Probably, out. yeah, yeah. But th- this time, around this time next year. Right. So late October, November next year, do seven days of chocolate, mezcal focus, but also some great restaurants. Yeah, so, we're gonna, so yeah, we're going to, I mean, I've been going down um, now for five years um, uh, with Catherine. Uh, she lived down there for, for a little while. And uh, she's from there. She was born down there. Her, mm-hmm. her dad's her dad's uh, from Mexico City. Um, and I just it was one of those things that I just felt the moment I got there, I fell in love with, you know, everything. It's a crazy city. Don't get me wrong, but it's the the food traditions are so rich and and so deep and just so wonderful. And they really do, um, you know, they care a lot about their food and the, and. Um, their history, their culinary history as well. Um, so it, I just love it. I mean, there's, there's nothing, it's my favorite place to go. Um, to eat or just to go to, period? To eat. Oh yeah. To eat, 
Yeah, for I mean to go as well. I mean, I'm, I've been fortunate because you know Catherine has family down there, so it's it's there's a slightly different experience than if you know you were to go down there. But I've sent, you know, I've had friends that have gone down there and you know set them up with, oh, you're gonna go to this restaurant, you're gonna go here, you're gonna go eat this, you're gonna go eat that, um, and they just you know they love it just as much. Um, and I, I, every time someone knows that I've been there quite a bit and know my way around. I always get emails or people asking me, where should I eat? Where should I eat? And I just love kind of sharing that, uh, that knowledge with them. Um, and it's, you know, my knowledge is kind of the tip of the iceberg. There's definitely, there's so much more to explore down there. Um, but and we're going to do some of that because yeah. Catherine has more knowledge. She, yeah, she's been going down there. She's been pretty much going there once a year, every year, you know, for her entire life. Right. So, um, so she has that really deep rooted knowledge of Mexico city and everything, you know, the culture obviously as well. Um, but when going down there, um, I've, I've, she doesn't drink mezcal, but I love mezcal, uh, getting back to park kitchen, Kevin Ludwig. Um, when I first started there, had just, uh, come back. I think he hiked the Pacific crest trail or something and ended up in Mexico. Amazing. Yeah. And, uh, I said it. Uh oh. Take one. <laughs> it's all right. I haven't said it in a long time. You have to do it once. In a uh, while. so he uh, he had brought back a, a bottle of uh, Del Maguey, uh Chichicapa mezcal, which at the time was illegal. You couldn't buy it in um, Oregon yet. I think only California it was legal. Anyway, this is uh, and why was it illegal? Why? What was it's so- that whole? There was there was no. Um, if I'm remembering correctly, there was because it's produced primarily in remote villages and towns there's not a whole lot of you know it's not like the big mescal distilleries where you have you know tons of money and and uh there is no way to regulate you know exactly what was going on but they've since done that there's a lot of there's a lot of legislation that's kind of going around and they they want to change word words and verbiage and kind of make it harder for a lot of these really small mescaleros to to produce um but there's a lot of pushback as to that as well because it's you know this is a very um uh deep-rooted heritage you know we're talking grandfathers passing down to sons and grandsons and it's you know you learn the craft from your family and it's passed on from generation to generation um and it's something that you know is is very uh, uh has become obviously very in vogue you know in the last five years yeah and the I really never, just exploded i started out with tequila when i yeah. was when the drinking age was 18 in yeah. connecticut uh-huh. and yeah it was just that was a derivation i heard about yeah. later on but it was kind of this mysterious yeah and so you know there's a lot of there's a lot of that kind of you know omascals that you know it's got the worm in the bottle and it's got mescaline which it doesn't you know there's all these there's all these you know kind of urban myths that kind of have followed it um and it hasn't been until the you know the last 10 years and really Ron Cooper of, of Del McGay is the one who's kind of been the pioneer of, of at least opening the eyes to, of Americans to, to, you know, what mezcal is and what it can be because there's no other spirit like it in the world. Um, you know, you're talking, you know, there's the, so getting into some of the, the specifics, but tequila can only be technically made from blue agave. That's what, you know, tequila, if you want to be true tequila, it's hundred percent blue agave. Um, whereas mezcal, which tequila is a type of mezcal, um, uh, mezcal can be made from, uh, I think it's 26 or 27 t- different types of agave. And a lot of them are, um, they're now being cultivated to, because it's become so popular. But a lot of those, a lot of those varietals are just wildly grown and wildly harvested. Um, espadine is the, is the most common and that's the been the most cultivated but then now we now they're working on cultivating some of the more wild so that it's kind of a more of a, a semi-wild agave um but some of these agaves don't mature so espadine takes seven years on average to mature um there's um there's a couple of varietals that will take 25 years to mature so people you know talking about uh uh, the how expensive mescal can be. Well, think about you know a twenty-five-year-old Scotch. I mean, that's going to cost you quite a bit of money. So you know you kind of have to take you know that into account that they're you know 
it's really rare to find, you know, some of these 25 year old agaves and to be able to produce, you know, a significant amount of, uh, of mezcal from it. So, um, but yeah, and then obviously everything gets, you know, there's nuance, there's terroir involved very much like wine. Um, the process, the distillation, is it distilled in copper? Is it distilled in clay? Um, I've had stuff that were distilled in old car radiators. Um, and how did that taste? Uh, it was. And what kind of buzz was there <laughs> with that? <laughs> uh, that? That one was pretty wild. It was pretty wild. It was. Uh, it was very young. So, so a lot of tradition. The the traditionalists will say that mezcal shouldn't be aged in oak, like uh, tequila is, like the reposados and añejos. But um, they're doing a little bit more of it. But one of the things that they really do um, with mezcal is they'll let it just rest in glass so that the that uh, the heat from the alcohol tends to tends to uh, temper down, and then you also have just the nuance of flavors. You know, you have to you can drink it, you know, one month after it's been produced, and then four years later, it's a completely different um, drink. And so that's that's the real exciting part about it is that you can you know I had one the last time I was in Oaxaca uh, last March. I had one that had been resting glass for 10 years and it was smooth as silk. I mean, it was just, it was beautiful. So, um, so that's been great. Uh, and so let's talk a little bit about chocolate yeah. too, because we're going to be doing that yeah. as well. And so there we don't have much time, a few more minutes. Okay. So we had, uh, my first trip down there to Mexico city. Um, Catherine's cousin inter- help friend of a cousin introduced me to, uh, this guy, Hector, uh, Galvan, who, uh, owns um the casa tropical and hector is a very um he's very dedicated to trying to preserve some of the the heritage of of uh, mexico's you know greatest plants uh, or in gifts in terms of culinary wise so i think mezcal chocolate vanilla as well um but he's really kind of focused towards chocolate and most most of the uh, cacao plantations in mexico are now gone um, they've been, they've been, um, cut down in favor of sugar cane, um, and other crop crops that, uh, offer more, you know, greater cash flow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so he's really trying to work to preserve and he's, you know, one of a few, but, uh, he's just a very passionate about chocolate and he is, uh, he's become a good friend. And so we've done, so after that first meeting, we really, uh, connected and we did a uh, we did a collaboration the following year um, uh, for Valentine's Day and so I went down there and produced uh, three special bars with him and and uh, we you know we did a big party we did a lunch party went to San Miguel de Allende we did a chocolate dinner there and and so it's been it's been great it's been uh, he's just he's really working now to to ramp up his production he's trying to gain some funds um, and, and really be able to produce chocolate so that actually I can bring it in because uh, he produces such a small scale. Um, but this, hopefully this will be a way for him to so that I can actually start bringing in the chocolate on a regular basis and, and you know, again, make some of these special uh, special bars with, yeah. his, with, it, with chocolate from Chiapas and Tabasco and, and uh, places like that in Mexico because those are the two primary chocolate growing regions in mexico so so yeah it's it's really exciting and so we'll we be we'll be uh we'll be sitting down with him we'll be going to his workshop and and uh that'll be one of the things and we'll do a special chocolate tasting and he when he does chocolate tastings he comes up with some really cool stuff he's always got different drinks and things that he's made you know with the roasted nibs and he'll you know he bakes breads and all these kinds of things so it's a really special experience and he talks very, very passionately about where the chocolate has come from, where it's been grown, you know, whether it's sea level, whether it's a little bit higher up into the hills or the mountains and talks about the differences and the nuance. And, uh, he just, he has a great passion for it. And it's really, really fascinating to hear him talk about it because, um, you just get wrapped up. It's his, his passion for it is, is infectious. And, uh, it's really great. He's well. If it can affect you, who's living yeah. it day to day, then that's. Uh, uh, it just went. Yeah, he's just he's just a great man. He's very he's he's funny. He's he's a good guy. So yeah. 
Good. Well, we didn't have. Where do you find? By the way, we gotta let let people know where to find your chocolate. Where? So you can go to uh, you can go to the website chocolatexo.com. That's the easy one to remember to redirect to chocoladedavid.com. But chocolatexo.com. New list everywhere. You know that we carry. Uh, they still carry my the stuff. Meadow, still at the at cheese cheese bar. Still at cheese bar. Still at cacao. Still at the meadow. Um, Provador fine foods. Salt and straw carries them as well. Foster and Dobbs. Um, I'm trying to think. I'm just. I'm going to forget somebody in there. Cool. So, what do you? What would you recommend people for a Christmas gift uh, of your products? What would be a nice? You know, a nice a nice selection of the bars. I mean, we we've got uh, we've we've won a few awards, and so there's a there's a few uh, of the more popular ones: the brown butter bar, the salted caramel bar. My personal favorite is the sourdough and olive oil bar. I haven't had uh, that one. That sounds I got, great. I got, I got one here for you. So, you do? Uh, you got yeah. one for both of us to yeah. try right yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. Should we I, do the? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'd love to um, try that. But yeah, this is uh, break that open, Court. That's that's a that's a product of uh, the Please. trip to. To trip to Spain, um, you know the pan con chocolate. Oh, cool! So it's uh, toasted sourdough bread, and then there is uh, uh, olive oil that's mixed in with the chocolate. Wow! So I didn't have enough. Really, I haven't had enough olive oil this month. Yeah, I'm no. running <laughs> around Italy between and Spain and Italy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've <laughs> pretty much pretty, bathing in it. It's yeah, it's been great. So, um, well, this sounds great, and yeah. we're going to find information on on PortlandFoodAdventures.com. Yeah. Uh, right now it says we're doing the trip in March, but I got to change. Yeah, that. we're going to change that. Unfortunately, so, uh, but the itinerary uh, is generally it? is there. Whenever yes. it's whether I change it or not, the the general itinerary of of things that we'll be doing is is up. So right. we're, yeah, we're going to do we're going to uh, do a special mezcal tasting, and we have the special chocolate tasting, and then you know hit up some great uh, taco stands. Have some one of my favorite things uh, to eat in the entire world is a torta de chilaquil, which is uh, uh, a torta with Chilaquiles and uh, chicken milanesa, and you know it's got some cheese and some crema, and it's it's just out of this world. This is great. Oh, yeah. we don't do this. Heather, long ago when we started this podcast, said no eating on the podcast, but this is like the best Nestle's Crunch Bar oh. yeah. you'll ever have. Oh no, no say it's sorry, great. I didn't mean it's, to equate no, it to that. It's but it's great that's... to get a crunch and know it's not like some cheap rice, yeah, puffed rice. Totally, yeah, that's made great. made with uh, Lovejoy Baker's uh, sourdough. Very good. We mm. need to have Mark on this podcast. Mark Frankel. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. He and I were hung out and good friends before I started my whole thing. I haven't oh. seen much of him. So it's a reason to get back in touch with yeah, him. Yeah, there you go. So, yeah, um, good, healthy amount of uh, sea salt in there as well. It's good. Taste. Which I like. Yep. It's well, really I, I good. Like, I like salt. And, salt and chocolate is kind of, uh, I would say, the, the kind of the baseline for everything that I do. Yeah, but when did that become big? Because. I don't salt remember. And chocolate? Yeah, I don't remember it before. Probably, like probably eight around years the time. Ago. Probably around the time right before I was doing things. Um, you know, I, th- I th- for me, ch- I treat chocolate as a food, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, every food needs a little bit of salt. It helps kind of bring out the flavors just that much more. That's delicious. It d- mm-hmm. Chocolate doesn't necessarily need salt, but I, th- I like, I like to add a little bit. Do you think your kids would like that, Court? Oh, they'd love this. Yeah, Good. Yeah. No, we don't do a lot of uh, like the watered down. American milk chocolate stuff. Yeah. It, I mean, this is... Well, I had Sarah from Alma on, and yeah. we, we had this conversation about Hershey's bars, and that's her... She, you know, she has a guilty pleasure. She likes those, too. I I, <laughs> I love uh, Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Oh, really, yeah. And that's just, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. right around this time of year, keep a couple in the freezer. What about Cocoa Puffs? Did you eat Cocoa Puffs as a kid? We, we Anything we, like we, that? We didn't have a lot of sugar cereals. Oh, we had man. Uh, We had Honey Nut Cheerios was about as sugary as we were allowed to get. Which is still one of my oh, guilty pleasures, oh, yeah. man. No, Honey that's, Nut Cheerios. That's a good one. Golden Grams. Yeah, I, I love cereal. I can't, I don't eat it that much anymore because I'll just, I'll only have a big bowl and... Next time you go to Barcelona, I, I, I walk by a, a store called El Fleco, and it's just cereal. Is this you a go cereal in restaurant? Cereal restaurant, yeah. boxes of cereal. I, remember, I think I remember reading about that. There was one in San Francisco a while back yeah. uh, in my old neighborhood when I lived in San Francisco that you just go in and they had all kinds of cereal. You choose your milk and sit down. <laughs> cool. Well, I'm looking forward to... Uh, the next year, yeah. we're going to get to know each other yeah, yeah. better, and everybody sure. else can get yeah, to yeah. know you. And again, too. this this trip is 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 going to be amazing. Like I said, Mexico City is my favorite place to visit. You know, in the world, um, 
it's it's like New York on crack, man. It's and also we didn't mention Quintanil. Yeah, we'll go to Quintanil. 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 See, I am with the pronunciation again. Uh, Pujol. We're gonna go to Pujol. Right. And um, but yeah, a couple tacos. Stay. I'm trying to think of. Uh, I got him. We got a few. Real, it's on the website. Yeah, yeah, it's on the website. Better, good reason yeah, to tell people. But also, to go and also, it's gonna because we're gonna be going at the end of the uh, end of October. We're gonna be kind of coming up close to the Day of the Dead, which is a huge celebration uh, in Mexico City. You know, I've never been. Catherine has, but uh, she talks about it and just amazing, very colorful. We're it's not a, talking Jerry Garcia. Here. No, 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 no. We're it's so celebration, celebration of life. I mean, you've seen all the pictures. You've seen the the Catarinas, which are the the painted skeletons. You know that all the girls dress up and uh, you know with the skeletal that much more reason and everything. To come. Yeah, big colorful, but it's a big it's a big celebration. So we're gonna try and uh, make sure to overlap uh, some of that and. Uh, Go see that because it's it's supposed to be amazing. So. Super. Well, gracias. Yeah. For coming. Well, Dana. Appreciate so, it. Yeah. And, I appreciate um, it. Thank you guys for having me. Yeah, it's great, and it's I've been meaning to have we've been meaning to have you on for yeah. ever. So I'm well, glad that it's a good I'm excuse. glad all the reasons yeah. and the excuses converged, and I'm glad we have this chocolate left over. There's quite a bit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks. All right. Right at the fork is brought to you by Zupans, unsurpassed quality. From the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupans and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers as well as local chefs know that Zupans is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, Southwest McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years, Zupans Markets. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at rightatthefork.com. Right